So it's the day after Christmas. How are you feeling? No comment, huh? All right. How many of you had uh, uh, yesterday a surprise gift that you weren't expecting? Anybody? So always a few hands, surprises. And, and I won't say whether it was a good surprise or a bad surprise, but we get surprises, right? And today we want to talk about uh, the gifts of, of Christmas and what God does for us. I've had the privilege this fall <clears throat> of teaching about the wisdom of God. And in this time, I uh, ran across something. Many of you might have heard this statement before. Have, have any of you heard the statement, I've got you covered? You ever heard that before? I've, I've, I've got you covered. It's okay. I've got you covered. <clears throat> and as I was studying through the wisdom of God, realizing that that's a huge concept that's mentioned over and over and over in Scripture, and it's got to have much deeper meaning than I'm just simply reading. I was especially impressed with this in reading Psalm 90, the only psalm that Moses wrote, that um, um, he says that, you know, our years are like 70 or 80 years, uh, and then he says, so Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So there's something about wisdom that goes on in our life, through our life, uh, uh, over the whole cover of time. And this is how God works in developing something in us. The scripture tells us his wisdom is profound. His power is vast. That he is mighty in strength and wisdom. There's something much bigger in all of this. In fact, the power of God is so powerful, God could do anything, right? But what he does is always guided by his wisdom. He knows what he's doing at all moments, at every time, in every aspect of our lives. So in the Father's wisdom, he planned Christmas he planned it long before the world ever existed. It was his unfolding eternal plan. Listen to how Paul states this in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, the message was given to me to bring to light what is the administration or the working out of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God the God who created all things, so that the manifold, many aspects of the wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities, even in the heavenly places. This, he says, and here's the, the thought, was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. In other words, this is a plan that is easily lost in all of the wonderful, joyous festivities of Christmas. There's nothing wrong with our joyous festivities, but there's something much bigger happening at Christmas. And it makes all the difference in the world 
as we gain wisdom to know the difference in seeking to live for God and learning to allow God to work through us. That Christ came to dwell, he told the disciples, that our fa my Father and I will dwell in your hearts. In order for what? And this is what we want to look at today. Usually, how do we feel after the day of Christmas? I recently asked a few of my friends this question, and there was a little pause, and honestly said, well, a little let down. And one of the other ones said, tired. And I said, yep, that's probably the general feeling, isn't it? I said, it reminded me of a poem I read recently that said this. "'Twas the day after Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring where we were all exhausted sitting on the couch. The stockings were scattered, St. Nicholas had flown. We were just hoping that a housemaid might find our home. <clears throat> Joy was now low, the music seemed old. For the adults, the high of the season had suddenly grown cold. Yet the children were playing happily as can be, still delighting in the gifts they had found under the tree. But that made us think about those good old days when we like children were free and unfazed. Then it's when we realized Christmas was actually a key to unlock presents we'd still left under the tree. Why do we celebrate Christmas over and over and over? In the wisdom of God, not only in His timing for which He is doing things, it helps us to remember that everything we need has been placed by God's wisdom under Christ's tree. Our scripture today is found in 1 John, but I want you to realize when John is writing this, if anyone had an opportunity to feel like things might have gotten old, it's John because John is very old at this point. But also, it had been 90 years since the first Christmas. It had been 60 years since John had last seen Christ rise into the heavens. And yet he writes with incredible enthusiasm. So would you stand with me as we read the scriptures? <clears throat> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And then at the end of his letter he writes, Whoever believes then the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God 
has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked of him. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. Paul is writing this with such enthusiasm as if it was only yesterday that Christ had ascended. And you'll see it in the way he expresses himself. Let me give you a quick little overview of this little letter. There are five gifts that are under Christ's tree, so to speak. These gifts are the gift of fellowship an incredible relationship that we can have with God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the gift of joy, which is an unending joy, the gift of freedom, which is from sin and a clean, free life, the gift of discernment, where there was much deception going on in that, in that time in the world, and finally, the gift of confidence that we read about, that we are not only can know we're saved, but we can pray with great boldness. Now, we don't have time to go through all five of those. I want to look at three because two of them are right here in the very beginning paragraph, and then we'll close with that one that's at the end of the letter. But John is so pumped uh, about telling us these things, about particularly these that he wants us to know, fellowship, joy, and confidence, that he says it in three ways right in the beginning of the chapter. He says, I can testify to the truth personally. I saw it, I've seen it, I've touched it, I've heard it. And I proclaim this publicly. I will tell everyone because I was there. And thirdly, he says, I'm gonna even write this to you and to all people who will read this in the future. He is setting us up for an incredible understanding of the gifts that come to us because of Christmas. He begins with establishing again that Christ is God. And so he spoke, speaks of the eternality of Christ, just as his gospel does the same way, very similar words he even uses. But that which was from the, God, from the beginning, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. Eternal in existence and eternal in relationship with God the Father. This is the one, he says, that we heard speak to us. As it was says, as no man has ever spoken. The authority in his words. We heard him stirring sermons that thrilled us. We heard him give stories and parables that at first puzzled us, but then began to dawn on us exactly what he was saying about the kingdom of God. 
We heard him ask questions that cut straight to the point to the Pharisees. Have you not read the most read people of the day? Because they've read and not seen. Do you believe? Is it possible? Question after question. Over 300 questions are, are in the Gospels that Jesus asked. Used it extensively. But he says, this is the one we've seen do miracles. We saw him feed thousands of people at one time. We saw him stand up in a boat in the middle of a storm and simply raise his hand and say, stop. And it was dead quiet. We saw a man who'd been blind his entire life and Jesus touches him and he now sees. We saw him walk up to a leper and it was against the rules for us to get anywhere close to leprosy and walk right up to him and touch him and heal him instantly. We saw this. We saw it. And then he says, and we've even looked upon it. Now, why would he repeat that? He actually uses a different word here. It's different than the word seen. It's the word that means gazed. Can you imagine the apostles sitting around a fire at night and Jesus is talking to them? Things that we probably don't even have in the scriptures. And you're looking at him and your heart is just flaming inside of you at what he's telling you because it's truth like truth has never been explained before. And you're just intensely gazing upon this one that is so amazing. We, we, we saw this. This is how we came to know him. But he's not finished yet. He says, and this is the one we touched with our hands. You imagine what it felt like for Jesus to come put his arm around you and say, I've got you covered. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine him embracing you with a hug and it's a feeling you've never felt before? Wow. We touched him. We really touched him. It's, it's actually an unusual word. It's used of blind people who would come up and hold someone and touch their face to try to really confirm who it was. We touched him. Now notice twice he says this life was manifested to us. Now what, what does that mean? The word manifest means many, many ways. So there were things that were said. John even at the end of his gospel said, if I tried to record everything Jesus had done and said that none of the libraries of the world could hold it all. How much we don't even know that they heard and saw in those days. It was a life, he says, manifested to us. And so he says, we testify to this reality. We, we were going to proclaim this presence. And again, he says in verse 3, he emphasizes, we've seen it. We've heard him. You see, there was a false belief going around in those days that Jesus was not really a human. He was just like an angel that just had the appearance of humanity. And John is saying, no, 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 no. We touched him. We talked to him. We heard him. We know he was real. He said, that's why we have to tell everyone because of how real he is and who he is. 
You see, the purpose of Christ's coming was more than salvation, as important as that is. Yet salvation for what end? Why are we saved? Now here's where we see the wisdom of God, and it's being expressed to us in these words of John. And John says, we are saved, and he says, for two reasons here at the very beginning. The gifts that Christ has given us, the gift of fellowship, and the gift of joy. Salvation not only saves us from something, our sin, but it saves us for something. And this is what John is wanting us to know, these gifts. Let's look at them a little more closely. The word fellowship is specifically a very Christian word. It embraces several truths. As a matter of fact, it's translated a couple of different ways in the New Testament. And one of those ways is that it also means participation in or participation with. And so therefore, in one place it's translated that we have fellowship or we participate in the grace of God. We have fellowship with grace, relationship with grace that is given to us. Another place it says that we are participating in and with the Holy Spirit. We have fellowship with the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day basis. That's how the Holy Spirit communicates to us. As he says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says he communicates to us through spiritual words and spiritual thoughts. As we read the Word of God, the Spirit places thoughts into our minds, always guided by the Scripture. But we have fellowship, we participate with Him. We even participate with the Holy Spirit in good works that have been prepared for us. And thirdly, another place it's mentioned, our participation in the loving friendship with the Son of God. Jesus told the disciples here before, I've called you servants, but now I call you my friends. I want you to participate in a fellowship of friendship close, deep, intimate, best friendship. So when you think of those areas, it's a participation in the gifts of grace and power and love. That's the fellowship that He wants us to have. It's really a participation in the Trinity. He says in the passage, uh, we proclaim this to you so you may have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And yes, it's a fellowship that we have with one another. Now here on earth, because we live in a fallen world and we still struggle with our sin natures and stuff, we know that friendships with one another don't always work exactly like we would want them to. Sometimes even with family members and so forth, and we always see that a little bit at Christmas, all right? It reminds me of what Ray Steadman, an old Bible teacher, used to say. He said, oh, to be with the saints in heaven, that will be glory. But to live with the saints on earth, that's another story. Um, And sometimes, you see, that's why we need first the fellowship with the Father, because that's what enables us to live above that and the power that is given to us. So, have you opened the gift 
of fellowship? Or is it still under the tree? Do you feel today a greater closeness and relationship with Jesus because of yesterday? Because that's why he came. He brought his presence, Emmanuel God, with us so that we can have a fellowship with him. And that's one that doesn't stop. It keeps going. I read a little devotional this, uh, this time I found called The Grand Miracle. And it's based in some of the sayings of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and George MacDonald, G.K. Chesterton, and some of the Inklings. And he quotes here C.S. Lewis saying, continue seeking him with seriousness. Unless he wanted you, you would not be wanting him. He says, the wise men come late, 12 days after the birth of the Savior, but they still come. They come from outside as Gentiles, not members of the people of Israel, but they still come. They come a long way, but they still come. They come to him because he came to them. He came first and foremost as a newborn baby lying in a manger, but he also came to the wise men by means of the star that announced his birth. This writer says, I once received a Christmas card that had no picture on it, but just the words, wise men still seek him. Concludes with this prayer. O God, who by the leading of the star revealed your son, Jesus Christ, to the wise men, mercifully grant us wisdom to know that we would not be seeking him unless he was first seeking us. You see, that's where the fellowship begins. He wants it with us. The second gift is the gift of joy. That is a permanent joy. The joyful Christian brings bright light to the world. When you're joyful in a dark and angry world, as we see so much of it today, people do notice. I noticed the other day when I was at one of the stores, you know, picking up a late gift, and he was, the person was there because I was picking up a late gift, um, and he was tired, and I said, Lord, help me. And I told him, I said, you know, thank you very much for serving here for my purposes. And I said, isn't it a grand, wonderful holiday? Big smile came on his face. See, people need to know there's some kind of a joy that's in us. This is also the result of that deep fellowship, but you really might say that the ultimate gift of Christmas is joy. Because the angel said, this is the message of great joy because a Savior is born to this very day. The psalmist tells us that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. When we get to heaven, the first thing you're going to feel is joy, joy. Jesus was very specific about this. 
Matter of fact, he told the disciples, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. You see, that's why he came. He removes everything that keeps us from experiencing that joy. God in his wisdom has made joy really the centerpiece result of Christmas. Now I want you to notice a little twist that John puts on this that we kind of quite aren't expecting, and that's in verse 4. Because he says this, so after writing all of this about fellowship, and he says, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Now I don't know about you, I'm looking for your joy being made complete. Some translations actually put that there. But the end result is actually the same thing. But what I like about this is that John, in his enthusiasm, is saying this, I want you to have this incredible fellowship and partnership in which you will find the same joy I have, and it makes my joy even better when you do. There's nothing like being around a brand new Christian. The excitement and the joy that they have It's amazing. It is amazing. The joy that is there. Is this a gift that's still sitting under the tree? Is your life filled with that joy? The day after Christmas is actually the day that it should explode because that's why he came. It still can happen. One other little statement from this. C.S. Lewis comments, he says, in the Scottish Catechism, it says that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. When I was a child, he said, reared on what Lewis called the Scotch Catechism, I never quite grasped what this first answer meant when it said we are to enjoy God forever. As an adult, partly from studying Jonathan Edwards, I came to see that the joy is the delight of encountering the beauty of the Lord. That helps explain a Christian paradox. In affecting our salvation, God does everything, yet He waits our own free action. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear the good news of great joy, we will be captivated by the beauty of Christ and His sacrificial love. Yet none of our actions are more truly free than our overwhelming response of love and joy. This is the gift these gifts that Christ places under his tree for us. The last one in the end is John wants to make sure we really grasp this. So he says, do you actually believe these things now that I have said? Well, I want you to believe this. He says, if you believe what I told you, the Holy Spirit will confirm it within you that God has given you eternal life 
the life that's in His Son. And please note, this is not a gift of just a long living. The emphasis is not on eternal as much as it is on life. That you will have the life that I have. You will have a life that thrills in truth. You will have a life that will never stop your joy. As a matter of fact, you will laugh more in heaven than any place else. Martin Luther used to say, there's no laughter in heaven, I don't want to go. <laughs> we will laugh in heaven because of joy, all right? That's the life that will be eternal. So he goes on to say, if you have the Son, you have eternal life. I've asked people many times, have you ever invited Christ into your life to forgive you of your sins? I've had a few people be honest and say, no, I've never done that. And I said, great, let's have another conversation. But some people will say yes. And so I'll ask this simple question, then where is he? Is he in your life? And I'm oftentimes interested that people will say, well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, mean, I hope so. And that's when I realize the confidence is not there. It's not there. Because they're aware they're sinners. They're aware that they haven't lived a life like they should. But you see, that has nothing to do with eternal life. So I said, let's do a little better here. Let's read what he says in verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name, Jesus, of the Son of God, in order that you may hope you have eternal life. No, it doesn't say that, does it? In order that you may think that you're going to get eternal life. No, it doesn't say that. In order that you may know that you have eternal life. And then he adds, I've written these things for you to know it. When Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to you and will have fellowship with you. That's what Jesus does. I said, have you invited Jesus in? Well, I, I, I prayed that prayer. Then where is he? Well, I, I guess he's in. No, 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 no. Don't guess it. Don't doubt it. You see, it's more important than how much knowledge you have. It's even more important than how many doubts you may have. Because the basis of him being in your life has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what he has said. The truth. I will come in. And if you've asked, he's in. Because he says so. Not because I feel it. Not because I might not still struggle with some doubt. But because he says it. So when you get to heaven and God says, is Jesus in your heart? You can say with confidence, well, Lord, he promised. And he says, that's all I need. Come on in.
I'll end with this, a story that a friend said, a guy by the name of Mark Yarbrough. He said, when I was a young teen, I wanted a motorbike. And he said, I had saved my allowance, I had mowed yards, I'd done all kinds of things, and I finally found a used motorbike that didn't work. And I got it, and I tore it apart and saw what worked, what didn't work, and I had a little bit of money left, and I went and bought the parts, and I put it all back together, and I got some gasoline, put it in the motor, and fired it up, and I'll be, I, it ran. So I jumped on that bike, and man, I gassed it up, and boy, we took off. I was flying down the road. My, the hair on my head was flying in the breeze. It was the most wonderful feeling until bang, and I looked down, there's smoke coming out in a hole in the side of the case. I had thrown a rod. Now, for most of us, we don't know what a rod is, but a rod's what pumps in there and makes it run. When a rod is thrown, it's gone, the whole thing. It, it can't be repaired. It has to be completely removed. He said, I had to walk it home. I walked it into the garage, more disappointed than I'd ever been in my life. My dad was in the garage, and he knew I'd been working on this, and he said, Some, he said let's go for a drive, just calm you down. And he said, I've got something I want to show you. So I said, we drove out to the edge of town, and we got to a small engine shop. And I thought, what, what are we doing here? He said, well, let's come on, I'll show you something. We walked over here. Here was a box that had a brand new motor that fit my bike. And I said, Dad, I, I can't afford this. I, I mean, even if you loan me the money, I can never pay you back. I'm, I'm broke. And Dad said, don't worry, son. I've got you covered. I've got you covered. And he said, that's when I realized what Christmas was all about. You see, it's free. It's unmerited. It's a gift that he has given abundant grace. He went on to say, joy, the joyous activities need to cause us to look deeper into our lives. And his last words were, strap on your new motor. Feel the grace engine carry you. Ride with the wind in your hair. And listen to God saying in your ear, I've got you covered. Merry Christmas. There are more gifts that we have left unpacked under the tree of Christ. As a matter of fact, the scriptures list 33 things that have happened to you at the moment of salvation. I had the privilege to preach on that a few years back. I thought I was going to lose the audience because I said I had a 33-point sermon. <laughs> but I just gave them a list of those gifts. And you see, we can spend a lifetime, but what we've got to remember is that what's under the Christmas tree, under the Christ tree, are gifts that will never end because He's got us covered. Let's pray. Great and mighty God, how we thank you with the one incident of a baby being born, our entire lives are covered. 
because of what he came to do for us. And what he came to do for us so that we can enjoy his life and learn to allow his beautiful life to work in and through us, that we might sense his power, that we might sense his grace and become grace givers ourselves. How we thank you for what you've provided for us, for your vast wisdom, and they had done so through this Christmas. In Christ's name, amen.